0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you consider our world's priorities today, a lot of our efforts are aimed at the lengthening of our lives. Just consider, for instance, the growth of the healthcare industry in your lifetime alone. About one in eight of all Americans work in the healthcare industry today. With the election this week, I don't know if you heard, but there's an election. Uh, One of the talking points has been what should the government do about healthcare? I listen to a lot of Cubs radio, as you might imagine, and nearly every commercial break talks about Northwestern's hospital and the groundbreaking work they're doing and whatever they're doing up there. With the coronavirus, we've become people who pay attention to things like infection rates, hospitalizations, ventilator usages, deaths, causes of death, and even probable causes of death. All the talk about flattening curves and finding vaccines has, as it's hoped for, end the lengthening of our lives. One of the things that this pandemic has exposed is how we've tried to eliminate death from among us. But since we can't completely get rid of it yet, unless you like reading and watching science fiction, we have a hard time trying to hide it from our eyes. We have anesthetized ourselves to death. It used to be a fairly common thing for a person to die at home surrounded by family who prayed for them and cared for their loved one as they passed. And now we have places for that, hospitals and nursing homes and hospice centers. Now, please don't hear me saying that these things are not needed. They are very useful, especially as a lot of us lack the expertise to do these kinds of things. In fact, they are extremely beneficial to the dying as well, because that is something that can cause a lot of pain. But the fact remains, we do like to keep death at an arm's length. Even our burial practices try to keep death out of our sight. For instance, cremation is becoming hugely popular even in Christian circles. Now, while I'm not prepared today to outright condemn cremation from the pulpit, I will say this, that the burning of the dead body is an overwhelmingly pagan practice stretching back as far as recorded human history will go. Christians have almost universally buried our dead, as did our Hebrew fathers in the Old Testament before us. That's why we maintain a cemetery, by the way. It's a confession that the body that we bury is buried in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection. All that stuff that Jesus says about a grain of wheat falling into the ground, dying, and then being raised to something else. I've, got, I've had two grandparents now who were cremated, and it's just not the same. Truth be told, it did take me some time to come to terms with the fact that my grandfather died a few years ago. If you recall, he died suddenly and was cremated almost right away. I never saw him, and so I never got the closure that I sought. Now, please don't tune me out. I'm not saying that Jesus can't raise a cremated body. He can, but cremation is out of step with the example that the Bible lays down for us. But even when we do bury our loved ones, we no longer stay at the gravesite until the body is lowered into the ground. I think all told, I've conducted one, maybe two funerals where I saw the body actually lowered into the grave. We have a hymn in our hymnal right now called this body in the grave we lay it's from actually the era of the reformation and it was very widely sung at grave sites for centuries but the way things are now with our current burial practices it makes almost no sense to use it at all in fact i would wager money that unless things do change it won't be in the next hymnal all saints day Today is one of those days where we come squarely face-to-face with death. So, what does the Bible say about it? Well, we learn from Genesis 2 and 3 that death comes through sin. Adam and Eve disobeyed the command of God and plunged all of us into a full-blown war with death. St. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. And a chapter later, he says the wages of sin is death. In 1 Corinthians 15, St. Paul tells us that death is not our friend, as some would have us say, but death is in fact our enemy. In fact, it is a fearful enemy that enslaves, as the writer of Hebrews tells us. Now, this is a rather interesting point that the scriptures make. The fear of death, not death itself, but the fear of death, enslaves us. It makes us slaves. Now, considering what we've been through... In this pandemic, in light of what the Bible says about death, we can reach some rather interesting conclusions. First, why has such terror gripped us over this virus? Well, for one thing, we see plagues as something from the ancient world or or from the medieval days when things like leeches were a valid form of health care. Even with all our knowledge about diseases and how they work, even with the great advancements that we've made in medicine today, we are still vulnerable and we don't like it. Second, the the reaction of abject fear that we've seen leads us directly to the conclusion that we are, in fact, enslaved by the fear of death. The fallen world is afraid because for them, death is the end. This was reinforced for me this week, by the way. One of my catechism students was telling me about a conversation that she'd had with someone who didn't believe in God. And that person told her that when you die, that's it. You are simply snuffed out of existence. So for the unbelieving world, death is Armageddon. It is the end of everything. You go from this life to complete and utter oblivion. You don't experience anything because you don't exist anymore. And admittedly, that is a rather terrifying thought. People loved by God. This year, three saints from our congregation have died. Rick Shoemaker, Alvin Hackman, and Krista Hobbs. And I can stand here today and tell you without reservation, in all three of these cases, not one of them died afraid. It is an amazing thing. Pastors often go to bedsides in order to encourage people with the word of God. But by golly, more often than not, I walk away from those kinds of beds encouraged as well by the confession of faith that I have seen When I go to witness to those people, not one of these three had a lick of fear of death. This is the real difference between the Christian and the unbeliever. We have been set free from death, and here is what the Bible says about that. Zechariah sings in Luke chapter 1, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. If the Bible in one place calls death an enemy, then Zechariah here is saying that God has saved us, not just from our earthly foes, but from our real foe, the foe, death. The writer of Hebrews says, Since, therefore, the children share in the flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and to deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus, who came to destroy the works of the devil, most especially death, Hebrews tells us, has himself tasted death in order to save us from it, including the fear of it. Dearly beloved of God, God loves you so much that in the waters of your baptism, he has called you to be his child And now, even though what we truly are has not yet appeared, meaning that we do appear to be dying at roughly the same rate as the unbelieving world, about 100%, when Christ appears, we shall be like him. How can that be? How can we who are mortal appear like him who is immortal? It is because our robes have been washed and made white in the blood of the Lamb, Jesus, who takes away the sin of the world. He has cleansed us from all sin, which means that he has also removed the consequence of our sin, and that is death. And so when Rick... Alvin and Krista closed their eyes unfearing. They did so because they trusted in the very blood of Jesus who washed away their sins and gave his life that they would not die forever. They have gone to where Christ is and they have joined the immortal choir that sings to the Lamb as he shelters them with his presence as we heard in our reading from Revelation this morning. They are not hungry. They're not thirsty because the Lord, their shepherd, has guided them to springs of living water and he has wiped away every tear from their eyes. We sang a little bit ago in our opening hymn, we feebly struggle, they in glory shine. Yes, indeed. God has folded so many of our loved ones to his breast They shine in glory as he himself is in glory. We feebly struggle here going from presidential politics to plagues to lockdowns to murder hornets of all things. We have faced isolation from one another unlike anything we were meant to endure. Have you ever noticed that we are told that we must treat one another as if we are all infected? We have been trained to view each other with suspicion almost as if everyone that we run across in the street or in the store is our enemy. We can't even give a reassuring smile to someone through these masks that we must wear. This election has set us at each other's throats unlike any other one in living memory. And if there's ever a time where we need to be able to smile at someone and Speak to them a reassuring word from the gospel. It's right now, and to be able to do so face to face. We feebly struggle. They in glory shine. Dear saints, today is All Saints Day. A saint is not just someone who has died in the faith. A saint is one who has been made holy by the blood of Jesus. That certainly includes those who have gone from this mortal life to be with Christ, but it also includes you. You are pressing toward the glory that has not yet been revealed to you, but is in fact yours. It is yours not by right, but by the blood that Jesus has shed for you and that he will pour into your mouths today. You are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. And St. John has already seen you streaming into, into the heavenly throne room. And this glory is yours now by faith. But when Christ appears, you will be like him too. Although we see this glory in a mirror dimly, through the word preached and the sacraments given, we press on to the day where we will see this glory face to face. You know this glory in part, but one day you will know it fully, even as you have been fully known by Christ, who is the glory of God in the flesh. On that day, you will join the heavenly chorus, even as they join us here today, the angels, the archangels, and all the company of heaven, and God will wipe away every tear from your eye, and death will be no more. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Those things will pass away because they belong to this life, and you will eat from the tree of life, which has sprung up from the very cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Behold, he is coming soon. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.